Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. I wonder if you guys remember anything from school, anything your teachers taught you. Um, see, I used to enjoy school quite a lot when I was um, when I was a teenager. It's I know it's like kind of controversial. Lots of people don't like going to school, but um, it was a bit intimidating, you know, socially in school. They had all the, the cool kids, and you had to fit in. And that's not what I liked about it. What I liked about school was the fact that I got to learn. I mean, I just, I really loved it, and I, I still do love to learn. Um, and one of my favorite classes in school was maths. Uh, yeah. yeah. Get some love for maths in the room. Good, good. Yeah, so I was, I mean, I enjoyed, like, solving the equations and solving puzzles and stuff. And I, I was quite good at it, which, which helps when you... For, for, for you to enjoy it. Uh, but I think one of the main reasons I, I loved my maths class so much was because of my teacher. Um, so I had this teacher, she was called Mrs. Ferguson. She was um, this lady, she'd come from Romania not too long uh, before she was teaching us uh, with her husband. Um, even as a teenager, she came to about here on me. Uh, she was quite, quite a short lady, um, but she, she loved teaching maths. I mean, like, she managed to get everyone excited about maths, about, like, trigonometry and these uh, complex equations. And, yeah, I just, I, I'm really, like, I'm really glad I had her as a teacher. She always managed to make it fit into some aspect of your life. Um, it was never, like, maths was just theoretical, you're never going to use it. Whatever you're going to do, if you were going to be a baker, you'd need to use maths to figure out how long to cook your bread for or something. Uh, if you're going to be an athlete, you'd need it for your, your, uh, your goals of, of getting faster or, or whatever. Um, but what I think I loved about it is that she made sure everyone in the class understood what was happening. She made sure everyone knew that we were le- what we were learning about and how to do it. Um, so, yeah, this is Miss Ferguson, my math teacher. Really great lady. But probably a better teacher is Jesus. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, so if you guys have Bibles or phones or something, we're going to be reading from Luke 6 today, if you want to turn there. Um, so in Luke 6, Jesus takes his disciples, and they've got some crowds following them. And he brings him to this big, like, open plain to, ta- to stand on. And he starts teaching them about what it looks like to follow him. Uh, this is, um, it's often called, like, the Sermon on the Plain, which is, like, um, you might have heard of the Sermon on the Mount. It's kind of similar, uh, similar content. Um, but, yeah, it's what Jesus teaches about how to follow him. Uh, so this is part of a series we're doing at CCM called um, what's it called? The Path of Discipleship. That's it. Um, and so this is about being like Jesus. Um, that's the title of this, this preach. And 
I think the main point is that following Jesus means that we are like Jesus, that we would act in the ways that he would act if he was put in the same situations as we are. And I think it's, it's actually a lot easier than we often think it might be. Um, okay, so firstly, I want to ask you guys a question, uh, which is a question we have to ask ourselves, I think. Who are we following? Um, because we become like the people that we follow. Uh, so when I was a boy, my, my parents used to take me and my brother, they used to take us out to these uh, theme parks quite a lot in the, in the school holidays. Um, Sometimes they didn't take us in the holidays, but don't you know, talk about that. Um, but yeah, uh, so there was one time I remember, and we were walking through a crowd together, and I let go of my dad's hand, and I lost him, and I couldn't find him. So I was about seven years old, really, really short, and he was up here, and everyone else was up here, and trying to go through the crowds, I, I spotted the back of his head. And I, I, I quickly tried to push through everyone to get to him. And when I got there, I, I, I finally I took his hand, and it wasn't my dad. Um, <laughs> I, I took this random stranger's hand, and um, l- l- luckily, the story goes, goes well. My parents were just around the corner. Uh, but I thought I knew where I was going. I thought I was following my dad, but actually, I was lost. I had no idea where they were. Um, So if we start in Luke 6, verse 39, um, it says, Jesus also told them this parable. Can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall into a pit? The student is not above the teacher, but everyone who's fully trained will be like their teacher. So I think this parable is actually quite comedic. Like, you get this image of two blind men following one another and then both falling down into a pit they haven't seen. Um, it, I find it like a, a cartoon almost. Um, but I think when we hear this passage, or at least for me, I want to place myself above these blind people. You know, Why did they think that was going to work? They're both blind. They obviously can't see where they're going. Um, but the truth is, Everyone is following someone. Uh, there's always something guiding the decisions we make, and often what we're guide, what's leading us is like that blind guide. Uh, for some people, it might be that you chase after one thing so much that you'll follow anyone who says they can get it for you. Some people want money, and so they always buy into these uh, get-rich-quick schemes Maybe you invest some of your money or uh, cryptocurrency is a, is a thing nowadays, isn't it? Maybe you've got like that slightly crazy uncle at family gatherings who, who tells you he can like double, triple your paycheck or whatever if you just do that. But it never works out. For other people, it can be following um, influencers. It might be on TikTok or Instagram. Uh, I know... Uh, some friends who, who follow these influencers and, like, everything they do is the cool thing to do. Uh, like, if, if this, these, these people get a new denim jacket, 
everyone's going to start wearing denim jackets because that's the thing. Um, or like on TV, you maybe your favorite Love Island star or whatever you watch might get a new haircut. And so that's the thing. And I don't think it's because anyone actually wants to wear a denim jacket. I don't think that's true. Um, or anyone uh, wants to get that new haircut. I think it's because by copying the things they do, we hope we might get the life that they portray. They always seem to be perfect and they have everything in order um, on, on TV or on Instagram, which is never the case. Um, and I think this is the same thing that Jesus says, that when someone is trained, they become like the person that trains them. So I think the question for us is, what do we want to be like? Who do we want to be like? And I think if Jesus really is who he says he is in the Bible, if he's the son of God who died for our sins to bring us abundance of life right now and forever, then I think he's the one we want to be following. Yeah. Um, So this little first section has made us question, I think, where we're looking for guidance. Um, And the second parable now makes us aware that we're all broken, whether we see it or not. Um, So I'm going to read the same chapter, verses 41 and 42 of Luke 6. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when you yourself fail to see the plank in your own? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your eye and then you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. I mean, I think this one's also a comedic parable. Jesus is quite funny in this this story if you really think about the things he's, the images he's portraying. Um, So in the Gospels, the stories of Jesus' life, he often talks to the Pharisees, who are these religious leaders who thought that they were holier than everyone else because of their devotion to God. They gave the right sacrifices that they they needed to, and they put on a show so that they could point to others and say, you're not doing things right. But that's not how it actually works. Um, Paul tells us in Romans that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Each of us are broken. None of us can point to others and point out the things that are wrong in their life without also having something wrong in our own. Um, But this parable is talking, I think, about wanting to correct people when they go off track, which, I mean, it's true that it's really easy to spot things in other people's lives, I think, far easier than to see them in our own. And it's not a bad thing, I think, to want sin gone from someone's life. I mean, I don't know if you have friends or family, maybe it's even yourself, who is addicted to to gambling or or to drugs. Or maybe it's someone who won't stop gossiping at work and you know it's wrong. Or someone who can't seem to put things in the past, who never actually forgives anyone. But when we see the destructive effects of sin, like, it can be heartbreaking. 
like obviously we feel for these people and we want to see their lives transformed and changed. But to have an effect on them, they need to actually listen to us. Uh, so a few years ago, I had a close friend who got really addicted to online gambling. Um, it wouldn't have been any good if I told him to stop, if I knew it was bad for him, if I went on online every, every day and like spent all my money on poker or something. He wouldn't trust someone who has a plank in his eye to remove the splinter from his. Um, that story ends uh, well, by the way. My friend's much better now. Um, but I think this is an important thing to understand, that our lives are often worse than we like to think. We often like to point at other people. And I think that parts of our lives can become so normal to us that they stop us from growing. Maybe it's the anger that we feel when someone mentions that person who wronged you all those years ago, and it's just become normal. Maybe it's jealousy that you feel over someone who got a promotion at work when really you deserved it, and it's just something that becomes normal. And if we lose sight of the fact that this is broken and that this is wrong, then we won't grow as disciples of Jesus. I think we need to be aware of our sins in order to keep on growing. But it's a really careful act to balance because we need to be aware of our sins but not condemned by them. You know, Jesus doesn't stop talking here. We've got more stuff to go. Jesus doesn't stop his ministry here. He dies for us. Our sins don't condemn us, but to grow, we need to acknowledge them. So when you're aware of who you're following, and you don't lose focus on the brokenness in our lives, then we might find ourselves in a place where we want to change what we see. Maybe, like I've realized writing this, you realize that your focus tends to drift from Jesus. And I think he describes it like this. I'm going to read from 30, sorry, 43 to 45. No good tree bears bad fruit nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its fruit. People don't pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Uh, I mean, firstly, I googled what briars meant. I'd never read that before. Uh, it's just um, kind of like thorns, but they grow different fruits. Uh, but here Jesus, I think, diagnoses the problem for us. If our lives don't bear good fruit, it shows us that the problem is not just on the outside. Something more is going on inside. So I want to, first of all, look at what Jesus means when he talks about bearing fruit because obviously we don't grow fruit i hope not at least um so the bible often uses language of uh, fruit good fruit and bad fruit um in important ways so paul writes in galatians chapter 5 contra- contrasting the acts of the flesh with the fruit of the spirit um he writes that the acts of the flesh are 
sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. These are the bad fruit that Jesus is talking about. I mean, some of them will be less applicable to each one of us, but some of them we can definitely identify with. I mean, like reading this, jealousy, selfish ambition, envy, hatred, discord. These are things we see all the time. I think when the Bible talks about me, when it talks about the things I'm seeing in my life, even though Paul wrote this 2,000 years ago, I realize that it's powerful today. And so Paul also lists the fruits of the Spirit as love, joy, peace, forbearance, or sometimes patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These are the good things that Jesus says come from the good in the heart of a good person. So the reason I love this imagery that Jesus uses here of a tree is that when trees grow, they produce fruit. Trees don't try really, really hard to produce the best fruit that they can produce. It just grows based on what's inside them. If they have good conditions like lots of nutrients and water and sunlight, they produce really good fruit. If the conditions are changed, if there's not enough nutrients or water or, or, or sunlight or whatever else trees need, then the fruit suffers. A tree can't change its own fruit by its willpower alone. It has to change what's on the inside, what's not seen. And it's the same for us. Sometimes we realize that we're not producing fruit or we're producing these bad fruits. Maybe we find that we're jealous or we get angry or we can't forgive that person who wronged us all those years ago. And maybe we read in the Bible where it tells us to forgive our enemies and it frustrates us. I found that at times because it's not like we're not trying to do that. It seems so simple when it says in the Bible just to forgive your enemies, to, to, to stop lying, to stop drugs or, or, or neglecting your family at times. It's just, just be the good husband or the good wife that you want to be. It seems so simple, but it's never as easy as that. It's really hard to change. And what Jesus is telling us is that we can't just deal with this stuff on the outside. If we want change that actually lasts and actually works, then we have to look inside and change what's inside of us. So Jesus has made us ask some questions about who we're following. He's made us aware of the fact that we need to change what's on the inside. And now he reveals the final piece. How do we change our hearts. Um, I'm going to read from Luke 6, 46 to the end of the chapter. It's 49. Why do you call me Lord, 
Lord, and don't, say, don't do what I say. As for everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, I'll show you what they're like. They're like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on a rock. When a flood came, the torrent struck that house but couldn't shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears my words and doesn't put them into practice is like a man who built built a house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed and its destruction was complete. I mean, for me, it feels a bit like Jesus is calling me out. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? I mean, I can see my, that in myself. You know, I want to follow Jesus. You know, I, I would say that he is my Lord, but I don't always do what he says. Because it's hard. It's really hard to forgive some people. It's hard to love some people at times. But Jesus doesn't tell us to follow him because it's the easy thing to do. He calls us because it's right and it's good and because it's the only way to get the kind of free and abundant life that he wants us to have. Jesus tells us about the man who comes to him, hears his words and puts them into practice. He's like someone with deep foundations on rock. That even when a flood comes, it can't be shaken. When our foundations are in Jesus, we don't need to fear the floods and the storms. Whatever life throws at us, it could be hatred, persecution, hardships. Maybe it's financial struggles for some of us. Uh, Something going on in your family life with your spouse or your children. Maybe it's something eating away at your heart that you haven't actually told anyone about. But you don't need to fear it when your foundations are in Jesus. He'll bear it with you and he'll give you the strength to carry on. At the center of our lives needs to be that relationship with Jesus. When we know Jesus, when we actually spend time with him and talk to him, that's when we grow. When our foundation is solid, even though things might not be going well in your life, you might be entering a hard season where nothing actually seems to be going your way. But when you find yourself in that hard place, but you're with Jesus, it won't shake you. Your foundations are firm and your house will stand. If you make that change on the heart level, to put that relationship with Jesus above everything else, to value God, to value spending time with him, listening to him, reading about him, he talks through his word. That's when the storms can't get us down. And that's when our enemy can't win. And I think fundamentally this change isn't hard to make. Jesus says that those who come to him hear his words 
and put them into practice have already made this choice to build their lives on the solid ground. And it starts with that decision to come to Jesus and listen to him. In Matthew's gospel, Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. It's on the wall over there. Yeah, it's there for a reason, because it's central to being a Christian. We're not called to have everything together, or we're not called to try as hard as we can to live good lives. The way that we deal with the sin in our life is by coming to Jesus and letting him guide you. You know, Jesus tells us that we're, that we're broken and that all the ugly things in our lives can't be dealt with on the surface. And that the real way to deal with these issues is to just come to him, to give him that central position and to let him guide you and to let him train you because he says the one who's fully trained is like his teacher. Um, one thing I think is important to take from this is that we need to be honest with God. We don't get anywhere by pretending things are okay. We don't grow when we just try to break our sin by our willpower and our own strength. And, like, it doesn't work. It's okay to tell God that you're hurting. It's okay to tell him you're not good at this. It's even okay to tell him that you're not sure he's listening. Be honest with God and draw near to him. James writes in the Bible that when we come near to God, he comes near to us. If we want our relationship with Jesus to grow, we have to come near to him. And he says he will come near to us. We will find, we will find him there. Um, so maybe if the band could come up and we could just take a bit of time to, to, to reflect, to just be with Jesus. Now, it's not a place to, to perform or to pretend because Jesus knows. He knows what's going on in your life. For some people here, this will be a familiar thing to do. You spend time with Jesus all the time, and that's something that's regular in your life. For some people, it's something we've not done in a long time, if at all. Um, but if you've kept Jesus at arm's length for, for years, or if you've had that deep relationship with him, either way, he calls you to come to him. That's how, that's how we... That's how we grow. That's how we follow him.